This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me. It's podcasts for the weird at heart. listening to Keep Screaming, a horror podcast from two best friends dissecting horror movies one by one. My name is Ryan Larson. And my name is B-Bass. Every two weeks we will bring you a brand new episode where we dissect a slasher film from top to bottom. We will look at the movie as a whole, going over the story, the casting, music choices, go kill by kill, and then rank it on how it succeeds as a slasher film. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at ScreamingCast or by searching Keep Screaming. You can find me at B not B, that's B-E-E, not B-E-A, and Ryan at Ryan Larson. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and Castbox, or online at podpeople.me or keepscreaming.com. This week we are dissecting 2014's The Town That Dreaded Sundown, directed by Alfonso Gomez Rion. But first our pop culture check-in. For new listeners, our pop culture check-in is a chance for you to get to know what we've been what we've been watching, reading, and consuming outside of our movie this week, as well as life updates. I had an 8% beer before recording this, so just keep that in mind as things go on. Ryan's hammered. Yeah, super drunk off 8% beer. I mean, I feel good. I'm not drunk, though. Um, I feel good. I feel good. Uh, we had our Halloween party this weekend, our annual Halloween party. I think it's got to be like 10 years running at this point, mm-hmm. 10 or 12 or something. Um, which was fun. I always love this group's Halloween party because we have, um, we have two friends, Gina and Kate, who always come up with like very original creative costumes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I always love seeing what they come up with. They're a paper doll this year and then a sky dancer. Yeah. If you, you guys, those yeah, from the nineties. Um, and then it was, it was great. We had, um, you know, uh, B and Ben and, uh, Liam got to do their first like family outing costume so they were little red riding hood and the hunter the or the the, the huntsman, huntsman and uh a wolf. wolf uh and then our friends jared and Lindsay, um and they're you know she's a month old now mm-hmm. um daughter cohen who is my goddaughter they came as gnomes because cohen looks like a little gnome um no it was a lot of fun um i always like i said i always enjoy it and it's fun to see what everyone comes Ryan, up as. I was the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. Uh, and I'll tell you, it was a costume. Store-bought. Totally bought it. And here's why. For the last three years, I have chosen costumes that, for some reason or the other, make me insanely hot because I'm covered in clothing. Last year, I was a headless horseman, so literally my whole head was covered. And every year I go, I regret this decision because it gets so... We're in California, and yeah, you'd think at the end of October, like it starts to cool down. Nope. Uh, it's still 80 something degrees out and I always end up being like in half my costume by the end of the night because I have to take it off because it's just too hot. Um, but this costume had a built in fan. I was able to wear it all night long. The head didn't fit the best, but, uh, I will say I went to a second party and I sat down and I took a little nap and no one even knew because I was just sitting there with my mask on. It was pretty great. Uh, no, but it was fun. It was nice. Uh, I, I, like I said, I love our Halloween parties and, uh, your friend, our, our mutual friend, Lauren came this year and she had a great costume. She's yeah, she is like eight, no, 10 months. No, no, eight months. 
She's 37 weeks. Eight she's, months. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she's nine months pregnant. Nine months pregnant. Yeah. By the end of your pregnancy, it's been 10 months. Okay. So she's nine she's months pregnant. She's nine months pregnant right now. So she came as Thor from Endgame. Yeah. She came as Fat Thor. Yeah. It was great. It's, she won Halloween. It was hilarious. Yeah. She had the glasses and she had a beer and it was really great. Yeah. So. Uh, and then, I mean, we watched Trick or Treat. So that's all you really need for a Halloween party to yeah. be successful. Uh, let's see. I mean, on top of trying to stay on top of 31 days of horror in October, I've also, um, plugged a couple other movies in there. Sweetheart by J.D. Dillard. It's, um, Blumhouse kind of threw it out on VOD. They do that sometimes. Um, which is a shame because this movie is great. J.D. Dillard did Slight, um, which was a Blumhouse movie. It's not horror. Um, it's kind of like action adventure it's about a guy who does like street magic but he's an inventor and he figures out a way he like creates this invention that basically lets him do like very a little above like normal or minimal level magnetism um and uh, i really like that movie so this is the same director kiersey clemens is in it um you'll she you'll have seen her in movies like dope or she was in um hearts heart yeah, Hearts Beat Loud with Nick Offerman. I really like her. Um, and it's a very subtle, um, like, she just, she, you see her. She washes up on this island, and she's kind of surviving on the island, and you don't really know where the movie's going, and it turns into a creature feature, which we don't get a lot of anymore. Um, it's definitely one of the movies that we see less and less of, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really effective. Um, it had some really creepy moments, um, the creature was super cool looking. It was like this weird, like human shark hybrid. Um, they did like, I think Dillard did a really good job of pacing it out. Uh, the third act actually works extremely well. Um, so if you get a chance, go support indie horror. I mean, indie in the sense that Blum pushed it to BOD. Blum house is not indie at this point, no. but, um, but when they put stuff like this out, just like on the market without really promoting it it's kind of a shame especially when it's a very talented director with a um spectacular actress so check it out it's well worth your time especially if you're into aquatic horror or creature features um uh, and then i watched lake mungo and lake mungo is a found footage movie from like the mid 2000s it was before the found like right before the found footage boom um and this movie fucked me up i'm not gonna lie uh it's creepy as shit. Like, it just does some things very effectively. Like, it does it does the things I like the most. It's it's from a mockumentary standpoint, I guess, or faux documentary because it's not mocking anything. It's so it's a faux doc, and it's about this this girl who goes missing in a lake, and they find her body, and then like evident like her brother like months later is taking pictures and she starts showing up in the pictures and then it's all about like how she's showing up in the pictures and you find out that the brother was faking it to try to give like his family any sense of like hope or like afterlife or anything like that but then you there's like a double twist where you find out that there's actually like the secret that she was hiding and like other people are involved and there's like a bit of a mystery and then it still ends up being a little supernatural and um just some of the some of the reveals in it were very haunting um especially like the actual like the actual big reveal is 
creepy as fuck. And what's creepy is like the whole movie is not very like it's very subtly supernatural. And then parts where it's not supernatural at all. It's almost like almost like a murder mystery. But then like the reveal is so drastically different that it it's very off-putting and it's it, i don't know it just kind of caught me off guard and it it put me on the edge of my seat and gave me chills so if you haven't checked out like mungo um i believe it's on shutter yeah, um on or shutter. if you have amazon prime um it will be on there because of their partnership um and then sweetheart's like five bucks to rent if you check it out or like you know four bucks in standard f or whatever so those are the those are the two like big ones that i checked out in the last like couple weeks um just and then like watching the the standard halloween stuff you know we watched trick-or-treat i watched scream last night actually um i will be watching halloween soon so like that kind of stuff i haven't watched hocus pocus yet this year i'm waiting yeah i'll wait till this week yeah probably when i come over for maybe halloween yeah maybe day of yeah um yeah i've been chipping away i've like kind of altered my family friendly list because most of the stuff on my list it's been like either you have to rent or it's been like a little bit tricky and I can only allow so much of my budget to go to $5 movie rentals. Um, and so, um, we found this app on our fire stick called like Disney now. Um, and it just has a bunch of like just Disney channel. It's basically just the Disney channel. Um, we can watch it live and then it has a bunch of decom movies. So we ended up watching through all of the Halloween Town movies. All four? Uh-huh. Did you watch the one with Sarah Paxson today? Uh-huh. Ooh. Um, so Halloween Town we watched like the first week of October. Um, and then we watched Halloween Town 2, Halloween Town High, and then Return to Halloween Town when where they just try and convince us that Sarah Paxton is Marnie. And it's just really Kimberly weird. J. Brown. Yeah. yeah. But um what i they're i mean they're fine the first one's definitely the best it's and the most charming it is the most charming and what we realized is that the other ones i mean halloween town 2 is is still like very halloween feeling but definitely halloween town high and return to halloween town are about witches is uh... they're not about halloween it's really about like being a witch and your powers and doesn't really feel like Halloween. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was like, oh, that's why I don't like it. Especially Return to Halloween Town. Um, there is a little bit of Halloween in like the very end of Halloween Town High. They have like a carnival. I, that's um, the only part of that movie I remember, actually. The carnival. Yeah, yeah, it's the carnival. The rest of it is literally like just a story about like fish out of water and like. Isn't like what's the younger sister a huge part of that movie? No. No. She just makes a little cameo. Oh, okay. No, the whole plot of Halloween Town High is that. They are tr- wanting to open the portal between the two worlds and prove... Marnie's trying to prove that um, humans have changed and that they can mm. be accepting of monsters. It's a story of unity. Uh-huh. Got and it. so all of the... Ki- the a group of kids volunteers to come over and they, like, wear human disguises. And she's trying to... She, like, bets her magic, the Cromwell magic, on... I don't know. It's a whole thing. But it's fine uh they're okay and then twitches one's on there so i watch twitches as well mm. um which is the, i always love that one yeah t and tamara maury it's okay. um it's okay separated at birth legacy witch movie yeah. it's fine it's it was at right. the it was at the tail end of like when i stopped watching decoms yeah oh yeah yeah it's like um, near the end for sure so yeah just going through those but i definitely like 
I just crave movies that feel like Halloween. Mm-hmm. And I realized that actually a lot of those Halloween Town movies lack that. So the first one's still like the one to go to. It's, God, so hokey, but it's fun. Um, and then I was saving it, but I watched Paranorman, which is my favorite animated horror film ever. Mm-hmm. It just makes my heart so, so happy. Um, and so I watched that while I was actually making my son's Halloween costume. So it just felt very, like, appropriate. Um, I love that in Monster House. Those two go hand in hand for mm-hmm. me. Paranorman ultimately wins out because I love the message behind Paranorman. I think it does a lot of really clever stuff with its narrative. Yeah, it's a, but, more, a little bit more adult than Monster House. But Monster House is scary. I was going to say, so it's more adult in theme, but yeah. Monster House is a scary movie. Yeah, like, there's hella scary stuff. Like, I, that's another one that I saw in theaters, and I remember thinking, like, this would scare children. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. But I like that about it. Yeah, me too. Um, yeah, Monster House is sitting. We have, like, a little stack of the movies we own that we're going to probably watch this week. Um, and then I also checked out I Feel Pretty. Mm-hmm. I've been having a little bit of insomnia the last couple of weeks. I've been a really hard time falling asleep. Um, and it's so, yeah, just a lot going on right now. And I have, I don't know, I always like go through phases where I have like certain subscription-based stuff and I have Showtime right now. Mm-hmm. So I try and just watch the shit that they have on there before I cancel it. Yeah. Um, I'm waiting for... Um, becoming a god in central florida to be done and then i'm gonna cancel showtime i've got like Uh, one episode left um anyhow i checked out i feel pretty the 2018 movie um with amy schumer amy schumer and man this had like (laughs) all of the ingredients to be like right i like amy schumer i think she's really funny busy phillips is in it and i love her um the directing writing team is the same team that did never been kissed which is one of my all-time favorite movies it's bad so like i don't know if you guys remember or if you haven't seen it it's the whole premise of the movie is amy schumer is you know an average woman and she's working like she's like stuck in a warehouse at for this like makeup company and it's a good position, but they, like, the joke is that they put her and this, like, guy in, like, Chinatown in some, like, dirty warehouse where everybody else is in this swanky, upscale office. Um, and she goes to, like, a spin class, hits her head, and when she wakes up, she sees, she doesn't actually physically change, but she just has confidence. When she looks in the mirror, she sees all of these, like, amazing things about herself, And then it's about her changing her life because she has all this confidence. Um, What I did like, they never show her body in some like weird CGI way or switch her with somebody else. The message is she she didn't change. It's a great message behind it. If you just have confidence, then, you know, you can really make positive changes in your life. The rest of it was terrible. It was so poorly written. I like cringed almost the entire way through it. It is the worst performance I've seen by Amy Schumer. And it like just genuinely bad acting. And I, oh, also Michelle Williams is in it. In this really weird role where she's talking like this. And this is the thing that she's not confident about. 
because she talks like this. She's like this beautiful woman at this makeup company, but she's trying to prove to her grandma that she can run the company too. So what, busy tricked Michelle into this role or what? Yeah. yeah. Oh, 100%. Yeah. 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 Um, it's bad. It, uh, it's a bummer because I really wanted to like it. And we, it wasn't even a romantic comedy. It was lacking in both of those departments. I mean, it like tanked at the box office, right? Who's the oh, male lead in it? I don't, I don't know. Rory oh. Scovel. That guy? Yeah. All right. He's a stand-up comedian. Got it. Interesting. Yeah. Not for me, hmm. but you know, teach their own. It was okay. Um, I did also binge Living With Myself, the new Paul, oh, Paul Rudd, Rudd yeah. TV show. Mm. Um, I watched it. Um, my husband has like seasonable, seasonable, seasonal work. Um, and so he's pretty much just been home. And so we're like running out of things to watch. And so we're like, oh yeah, okay. We both love Paul Rudd. So we started this and it was actually really, I'm really glad we don't watch a ton of stuff together TV show wise, especially unless it's like a sitcom as we'll never get through it. It just never happens. And I'm really glad we watched this one together um, because it presented a lot of like interesting questions and scenarios for us to talk about horror fiction. That's, yeah. It's listed as horror fiction. Yes um, or no? It's just fringe, right? So they probably classify yeah. it there because it's so it's weird. It's sci-fi. Like, right. It's weird fiction, it's which really, often gets classified yeah. as horror. Yeah. Um, I mean, horrific things happen, but yeah, I definitely wouldn't call it horror. Um, it's dark comedy. It was hella dark. Um, but yeah, so he, it's just Paul Rudd's in a like rut in his life. He goes to this spa um, to get a mysterious treatment and realizes that... He's being replaced by a better version of himself. And it's about him the, the him and his clone trying to figure out how the hell they're going to live their life when there's two of them. Very, very interesting. Very, very good. Um, and they're like 22 minutes and there's only like eight episodes. So we watched it in like one sitting pretty much. Oh, that's but it was super good. Yeah. Cool. Um, so our movie that we are doing uh, is The Town, The Dreaded Sundown, 2014. So if you keep up with us, you'll know that we did the original Town, The Dreaded Sundown uh, on the last episode, which was a first-time watch for both of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is not a first-time watch on this movie. Uh, it's part of the reason we decided to do the original Proto Slasher, because we had seen this one before, and we were like, okay, well, this is something we know, and, and you know, um, we haven't covered the original, but this is the, uh, it is, it is a sequel. It's a sequel. It's a sequel. Yeah. Like all, you'll see reboot. a lot of stuff online of like sequel, remake, reboot. It's a straight sequel. Like yeah. it's very meta. Um, but like it is a sequel and like part of the reason I think it gets tagged with the reboot remake a lot is because it follows a lot of the same structure and there's even scenes from it that are from the original, but mm-hmm. that's on purpose. Yeah. It's like paying homage to it. Yeah. I, yeah. I think you could, you know, still argue the reboot, but it's definitely not a remake. No, 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 no. Um, the synopsis is 65 years after a mass serial killer terrorized the small town of Texarkana, the so-called moonlight murders begin again. It is a co- is it a copycat or something even more sinister? A lonely high school girl with dark secrets of her own may be the key to catching him. Um, it was released October 16th, 2014. Very limited. It was mostly VOD. Mm-hmm. I remember renting this one when it came out. And, like, this was at a point, too, I remember where I was just, like, 
looking for anything like every week on itunes i would just check new horror releases and i saw this and i was like oh what blumhouse and ryan murphy yeah i'll watch this movie but it got like no press like Mm -mm. at all i remember i had i was actually writing um freelance for shock till you drop back then and i had to email turek and be like can i write a review for this and he's like oh yeah no one's covering it so i was like okay so yeah no it's super yeah i ended up stumbling upon it um probably about six months later um on netflix mm-hmm. and yeah it was on netflix for a time yeah, yeah and like quick like right after its release because mm-hmm. i was like what the hell is this and like i'm pretty up way more now than i was but i still was pretty damn up on horror then and i stumbled upon it and just was like oh this looks good i watch it and i was like oh shit okay yeah um not what i was expecting um but because it was you know this indie blumhouse did produce it um I have no idea what the budget is. Can't find it. Yeah. Um, the box office made one hundred twenty thousand. Nothing. Um, yeah. I saw somewhere roughly. I did see a quote from Blum talking about. I think it was in the five million dollar range, which is very low, very very low. But I, I mean, like, it didn't even get close to recouping. But I, I mean, I, I would be interested to see because I did read like through the wiki and did a little research. I mean, B does like most of the research for these things, but. There had to be some reason that this was so buried. Like, because Murphy yeah. was huge. Yeah. Dude, this was prime Glee. Like, yeah. Or, like, right in the middle of Glee. But, like, Murphy, like, he was still really big. Blum was just getting big. Mm-hmm. It was It's just very strange to me. But this it, just got... October 16th, it's a Halloween movie. Yeah. Like, I don't understand, like, why this movie just did, came out with nothing to it. So, let's see... That was the year. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it was very, very odd. I like. I'll. I. I mean. I mean. I. I know it was still when Blum was kind of initially launching, so they weren't doing a lot of their theatrical stuff. Was like paranormal still. Um, but this had to be. It's definitely post insidious. Um. So yeah, I don't really know. Uh, it has a sixty-eight percent on Rotten Tomatoes actually fairly high for mm-hmm. um for a number of things for a slasher movie for a horror movie and for a uh sequel or a remake those are all like yeah pre- pretty high actually um bloody disgusting's gregory burkhart uh praised the film said it's unfortunate that the script can't reach the same bar as the visuals particularly when it comes to the tired twist ending which seems to exist simply because the filmmakers assumed audiences would expect it uh, I don't agree with that necessarily. Yeah, that's why I put this one in here because that seems to be the biggest consensus on mm-hmm. this film is that, oh yeah, like it was cool except for that ending was terrible. And I definitely don't agree with that. Um, I really like the ending of this film. Mm-hmm. I think there's nothing wrong with it. I, like Ryan and I said, we watch a lot of these movies and I did not see it coming. Nope. When it happened, I was like, oh shit, yeah. okay. yeah. I don't think it foreshadows it at all, but it also, the problem I think sometimes with movies, if they don't foreshadow, sometimes it feels forced, but I thought this was not. Yeah. Um, you'll see a lot of references to Scream for good reason, because they do pull a double killer in this, um, but it definitely surprised me and not in a way where I felt cheated. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the poster, I'm super modern. Um where the last the poster for the original um, is that very iconic illustrated one. Um, this is very in line with um, 
slasher movies in this era. It actually kind of feels um, like a cross between like the Cabin Fever poster yeah. and like this font looks like Wrong Turn to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So yeah, stylized. It just feels. I mean, it just makes sense. It feels very um of this time. We've got our killer showing his outfit, showing the knife, which is utilized in this film, um, which makes it a lot more of a slasher than the original. Mm -hmm. Um, And then they've got, like, the trees in the background that are making sort of... A skull A skull or, like, his mask. I mean, probably a skull is what they're trying to go for. Um, Just a ton of texture and grit and um, sunset-y vibes and colors, which is nice. Um... Yeah, and then no taglines. They just advertise it as from the producer of Paranormal Activity and Insidious in the co-creator of American Horror Story, which, again, is very, like, all of those factors make it confusing why this sort of got just thrown out. Yeah. Also, our first movie with no tagline, I think. Yeah. It's pretty I odd. Mean, there's, I couldn't find any. There's definitely not one on the poster. Yeah. And then, but if it wasn't marketed... Yeah, that's true. Why would there be taglines? Yeah, like no marketing. Yeah. Uh, No sequel. It's technically a sequel in itself. Definitely sets up for a sequel if it Mm -hmm. wanted to. But um, yeah, no sequel. Um, So the director is Alfonso Gomez Rejon. Um, His other big film that he directed is Me, Earl, and the Dying Girl. Oh, I like that movie. Yeah, just a good movie. Yeah. Um, And then he's worked with Murphy. Um, Glee, American Horror Story. God, um, man, you get in with Murphy, you're yeah. set, dog. So as we get down the crew, they are all Murphy alums. Jeez. Every single one of them. We need to get in with Murphy. That's right? what we need to do. Um, so it was written by... Um, oh, I'm not going to say this one right. It's uh, Roberto Aguirre Sarcasa. Sarcasa. Like, yeah, Brian yeah. should know because yeah. he is... Um, a big comic guy. He created Afterlife with Archie. He's actually the editor for Archie Comics, um, which is one of the... And I didn't know he wrote this until I watched the movie and his name popped up in the credits. And I, w- I had actually just got really into Afterlife with Archie at that point. Um, and I love that because the Afterlife with Archie comics, if you haven't read them, are super dark. Like, like Riverdale is like quote-unquote dark no afterlife with archie is like fucked up shit like people are getting eaten it's all out there the blossom twins are totally having sex with each other like it's the wild west in those comics and i love how crazy it went because sakasa came in and like really realized he is the reason riverdale exists because he realized that archie needed a reboot it just couldn't exist in the modern era so he started doing afterlife with archie and then he did launch an archie comic um, that was like a modern retelling, and he like got really big talent on it. Uh, Mark Wade, who's an incredibly famous comic book writer, and Fiona Staples, who's one of the most talented comic book artists in the game, were on it, um, and like he brought them in. It was just like a very fresh update to Archie. Um, so I love that he wrote this because uh, anytime I can see that success translate from comics, comic books essentially are. Writing a comic is almost the same as writing a movie. If you ever look at like a comic book script, it looks incredibly similar to a screenplay. Um, so it translates a lot of the time very well, and that's why you actually see a lot of comic book writers do movie stuff. Uh, if you guys go back and like listen to the episode or even just check it out, Scott Lobdell um, wrote Happy Death Day, and he's like a very big, prominent comic book name. Um, and there, there's a lot of like those guys out there that are doing stuff um yeah so i love that he did this but he also did yeah he's worked on riverdale um 
He wrote on Carriers, which I didn't know. I love no, that. No, Carrie. Wait, oh, Carrie? Yeah, 2013's Carrie. Oh, that movie sucks. Yeah, I do I not thought you like said Carrie. I thought it was Carriers. No, I like Carriers. Yeah, that movie's no. bad. And I don't know what Chaos is. Chilling oh, Adventures Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. 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 Okay, got it, got it, got it. Um, but yeah, if you can, I actually highly suggest checking out the Afterlife with Archie comics. There's Afterlife with Archie, which is all like um, basically like zombie. Then there's the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, which the show is based on, which is a very like Lovecraftian, Satan-like um, retelling of Sabrina. Then there's Jughead the Hunger, which is about Jughead being a, a, a werewolf. And then there's also Vampironica, which is about um, Veronica as a vampire. And they're all in the afterlife with archie comic book universe like they all exist under that label i mean but they're all different universes so those characters exist separately which is really cool fancy stuff um like we said it was produced by um jason blum and ryan murphy um so sort of um big producers on here and once if you've been listening we've also been covering american horror story this season Mm -hmm. um and so lots of murphy for us right now yeah um, uh, the score was done by Ludwig Goransson, um, and he apparently has a thing for Michael B. Jordan, um, because he was a composer for Black Panther, Creed, Creed 2, Fruitvale Station, um, he also did Slice, mm-hmm. and then works with, um, Childish Gambino. A bunch, a yeah. A bunch. Ludwig was his main, like, was his sole producer. He has a song where he says, uh, put my soul on the track, like, uh put my soul on the track like shoes did blah 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 ask ludwig i know that like lines in there and it's in reference to ludwig he did he definitely did his um freaks and geeks ep and camp uh so that was another one when his name popped up i was like i know that name yeah. um and he's done a bunch of stuff with Harmon too he worked on like community and like yeah. all of his mm-hmm. tv shows yeah happy endings and pretty much like all the comedies that i love i was yeah. like oh he's worked on these yeah new girl he worked on new girl mm-hmm. yeah yeah he's but he that's why black panther creed fruitvale all those slice he's super into hip-hop yeah, so anytime we sense. get any of those like hip-hop guys or those like very hip-hop centric soundtracks he's he's on the score makes sense um yeah so that's kind of cool um, yeah and this is also kind of out of his wheelhouse yeah. which is cool but it's i do think it's an effective score mm-hmm. um it's and it's it, it i think it's really similar to the first one mm-hmm. in the fact that it allows for a lot of silence yes it does um the stings are good and yeah. i think it does some good builds mm-hmm. um but it is yeah i agree like they still that was something i actually picked up on rewatching this especially after seeing the original is how much they still allow silence and the killer's breath to be mm-hmm. a very big factor in like what's happening um yeah and then the cinematography which i think was beautiful i love how this film was shot i think it's gorgeous i think it is literally one of the m- most beautiful films we've watched out of uh-huh. all of our movies yeah. it's yeah. uh the color i mean oh the, the color is insane yeah how the shots are lined up like literally everything it just looks it just i know it's one of those movies where it just feels like its own place Mm -hmm. you you look at it and like it just has its own feel and texture and you feel like you could go there yeah so this in this movie too has a diopter shot in it which is a couple it does yeah and i think that diopter shots are really hard to nail um, they can look really goofy yeah. if they're done wrong. Like, I don't love the one in Us, mm-hmm. um, but I love the one in Jaws, you know? So, like, they're very hit and miss. 
this one really stands out to me um, because it's it's a diopter shot of a very like brutal scene that's happening. The girl is facing away from the killer as he's killing someone, but he also it's the lighting she, the 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 red from the car is like in her eyes and it's very like prominent and I think it's just like a really well done shot like that that one in particular, and then he does it a lot in the courtroom i think he does a lot of the diopter shots too yeah but um there's a couple of them in here but i do think that this movie is like you notice it's and this is how you know, like i watched this with a group of i still remember watching this with a group of friends and like a, like not really film people and like to me that is a call out to when you have a very good like cinematographer is when they go wow this is really well shot and I remember them being like, this is a really, like, as as brutal as it is, it's a really, like, beautiful movie. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the, the cinematographer is um, Michael Go- Goy. Um, and just has done a ton of TV. And, yeah, I mean, Murphy, mm-hmm. Glee, Scream Queens, American Horror Story. Um, which makes sense because, I mean, American Horror Story in particular, um, I think always looks really good. Yep. Yeah. Um, and it always looks appropriate for the world they're trying to build. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. Uh, and then edited by Joe Leonard, who did Glee, Empire, and Star. Again, mm-hmm. Another Murphy guy. Mm-hmm. Um, we have, it's funny, the I don't really recognize, at least at this time, they weren't well known, um, like the younger cast, but then it has a lot of like sort of random, like, characters who are mm-hmm. a little bit older that are a lot more recognizable they kind of got some you know i feel like decent I mean, they got recognizable people oh for sure yeah. yeah 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 um so our final goal jamie lerner um is played by um addison timlin um she's most well known for californication um and she's also in odd thomas that sort of like weird movie with anton yelkin yeah r.i.p this year yeah. Um, Travis Trope as Nick Strain, um, who's in Men, Wo- didn't do much before this, but then he went on to do like Men, Women, and Children, the new Independence Day movie. Um, he had a stint on Boardwalk Empire. Um, sort of the big horror person is uh, Jamie's grandma, played by Veronica Cartwright, who was in Alien, Witches of Eastwick, The Birds, Damn. Scary yeah. Movie Two. She's got some clout. Yeah, for sure. Um, so that was cool to see. Um, Gary Cole has the chief deputy who is like in every comedy ever. Yeah, Gary Cole's everywhere. Yeah, like but... Gary Cole has been notorious as one of those guys of like he's in everything and no one knows who he is. Yeah. Yeah. Um but I think people now know him. Know who, more. who he is, yeah. yeah. But I mean he's off his face would be like the big one. Oh yeah. huge, yeah. I mean he's yeah. in Talladega Nights, he's Ricky Bobby's dad in that, yeah. but like off his face because he's the like yeah mm-hmm. he's that guy and I mean, he's, he's like a so meme. memed yeah. yeah he's incredibly meme. yeah so you might <laughs> gary cole um you might know him from a meme yes that's very true yeah um uh, joshua leonard as deputy foster who was actually one of our killers um he is in blair witch project as joshua leonard and he's also on hatchet um edward herman r.i.p um as reverend cartwright um the lost boys overboard annie um and then of course gilmore girls richard gilmore yeah um and then anthony anderson um speaking of monster house 
because um, he has a voice in that movie. Oh, yeah. Um, he plays Lone Wolf Morales. Which um, is a character that kind of carries over. Yeah. Right? Because yeah. the original had a it Lone is. Wolf. It is, yeah. yeah. So it's um, it's named after a character from the, the original. original. Yeah, that's cool. Um, and then horror stuff, he's done Scream 4, Scary Movie 3. Um, and right now, he's I know him from Kangaroo Jack. Um, he has his own show, Blackish. Yeah, which is insanely, insanely popular. Yeah. It has like it three well. spinoffs. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I just saw that the other day. I was like, damn. They have Mixedish, which is on, and then Freeform is doing like one of his kids or something on the show. Is It's Grownish. So one Jeez. of the kids got their own show. Yeah, super, super successful, which is cool to see. Um, Ed Lauder as the Sheriff Underwood, um, Cujo, King Kong. Um, Dennis O'Hare um, as Charlie Pierce Jr. Dallas uh, Buyers Club, yeah. True Blood, Quarantine. Yeah. Oh, Spencer Tree Clark. I know that name. Yep. Um, Last House on the Left, the remake, and then uh, some big role in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. That is our mm. other killer, Corey That's Holland. Um, and then finalizing out the cast, we have Morgana Bridges as Kendra Collins, Wes Chatham as Danny, Jaron Mitchell as Johnny, Kurt Krause as Roy, Lanny Landry as Ardell, and Colby Boothman as Paul Mason. There's a big cast. I mean, they introduce a ton of people. Yeah. I mean, and the original had a fairly large cast, yeah. too, because they bring a lot of people in, unfortunately, to be killed. Yeah. Um, but I do like that this movie doesn't have any overbearing star power, but everyone in it, you're like, oh, I know them. Oh, right. I know them. Oh, I know them. So it makes it comfortable. It does. Like, I always, it's always easier for me to watch, like, indie stuff if... I do have, like, a sense of familiarity, even if it's literally, like, because they were in a couple episodes of a TV show or yeah. something like that. You go, like, oh, okay. Like, it doesn't feel, like, as foreign to And me even now. one character. I'm like, yeah. oh, I know that person. Yeah. And, like, I know... I mean, different people are different types of viewers, but, like, I know B and I are specifically... we. The whole reason we watched S. Darko, okay, oh, is because Ed Westwick and... James um, Lafferty. And, no, was Lafferty in that? Yeah. Uh, and like what's his name jackson rathbone yeah like yeah. a million people yeah. in that movie yeah that's why we watch it is because yeah. we get familiar with actors we're like oh we like them yeah so uh it is a meta slasher i mean it's a full-blown slasher but it's also very meta it exists in a world where the town the dreaded sundown murders happened obviously because that's the real world but it also exists in a world where the town the dreaded sundown movie exists yeah. Um, and it acknowledges that. And it's actually yeah. a pretty major part of the plot. Oh, it is. Yeah. I mean, it's integral to how it all ends up. Yeah. So it is hardcore meta slasher just in a different way. Um, it's mm-hmm. not like meta in the sense of like where we normally see it, like Final Girls or even like Wes with a lot of like Scream and New Nightmare where we're like self-referential with slashers. It's just self-referential with its, its predecessor. Yeah. 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 It's never calling itself out as being a slasher. Definitely it's, not. Yeah. It's definitely calling itself out as being like this phantom haunting the real world and this movie and then the world that this movie exists in. Yes. Yeah. Um, we have two killers, his Deputy Foster and Corey. Um, Corey is in it, so B and I were talking before we started recording. It's very Scream 2-esque. Mm-hmm. Corey's in it for the fame. He's in it to, yeah. So obviously he's like a sociopath and he's like, yeah, I'm this like star like quarterback. I'm like the poster boy and what's going to happen is I'm going to go off to college 
and I'm going to be successful and then I'm going to come back to this fucking town and be stuck here and and I want to be known for something bigger than that. And now all of this, I'm going to know it's because of me. Yep. It's literally because he just wanted a legacy. Yep. And then Foster, what you find out, has the more like historic familial connection. Um, he's a character that we find out that in this world, the Phantom Killer his grandfather was the last victim and his death was completely overlooked and so he's doing it as kind of a vindictive vengeful sort of thing um so he's like we don't spend a lot of time with either of these characters honestly um they both give their motive within like three minutes at the end of the movie yeah uh like at least fosters we get a little more time with because jamie kind of is discovering it as we go along but that's the twist that everyone hated was this double reveal of um, of Corey also being one of the killers. But, I mean, I think B and I both liked it because, like we said, we didn't see it coming in, too. It did feel... It gives you those Scream 2 vibes. No one was complaining Scream 2. No. <laughs> so I don't really understand what everyone was pissed about here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't get it. So it's also, though, isn't it, the, the uh, Deputy Foster, he was the last victim, but weren't they pinning the murder on they were going to pin it on he was going to pin it on Corey and jamie no i mean his grandfather oh they pinned it on his grandfather yeah yes and so his, he, his not only did he the, die yeah but he they said he they, they, they said they he think he killed he's the himself killer. yeah they said he thinks he they thought he was the phantom killer and, and he so killed he himself, himself yeah. when really he was the real phantom killer's victim. last victim yeah but they Basically, they botched and they just needed to throw a name on it. Yeah. So that's what happened. Like, so he's pissed yeah. about that. Yeah. So yeah, his grandfather was pinned as a killer yeah. when that wasn't true. The motive's good. Yeah, it's um, great. I mean, the motive like works for both of them. Yeah. And I like that the younger character and like they play with the whole small town. That's definitely mm-hmm. like a real thing that people go through. Is that yeah. small like, you know, big fish in a small pond? Um, I just don't think we spent a lot of time with either of them. Yeah. Like I said, it all kind of gets like laid out in front of us in a couple minutes at the end. Well, yeah, because in the very it's very like scene, super villain monologue. It is. Yeah, it's very like Scooby Doo. Take mm-hmm. off the mask. Yes. And, yeah. You know, Here's this whole reason why. Yeah. This yeah. is why I did all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, I sure. I think maybe with Corey, you could have had the opportunity for some of this sense of. Um, You know, maybe that's even a deleted scene or something. That time they have, like, in the car and, like, their opening scene, really the only time we get with them, maybe he could have, you know, had a conversation about these feelings that Mm -hmm. he had with her and people would have felt better about it. Um, But, I mean, I think it works fine without it. Yeah, it's still still effective. Um, There are... Uh, no iconic weapon, although he does use, like, a knife a lot. It's like a Bowie knife. Or a Bowie knife? Bowie knife? There's even a part in the movie where they're like, take down like that, that statue. Right take down that statue because, like, that's the knife they're using. They say that in the courthouse. Um, definitely uses a knife a lot more than the original killer who used a gun most of the movie. Yeah, and he, there's a gun used a few times, but almost all of these are um, and I, knife related. It's on purpose because this movie is savage and it and it's meant to be and like they want it to be visceral and raw and brutal. Well, and it's on, that's what makes the original, you know, a proto is that, you know, it had these elements that would work really well for a slasher. Right. Um, really before the slasher existed. And now that 
you know, we're in a time where the tropes of slashers are very well established, they can go, yeah, okay, the guy needs to use a knife. Yeah. We can't just have him shooting people. Yeah. So there are 12 kills. Um, one is by our final girl, um, which I guess is technically an unconfirmed kill. And then uh, three accidental deaths. So, yeah, we've got um, 15 total bodies in relation. So her parents... They died um, before the movie starts. Yeah. yeah. We just see... A flashback, yeah. eventually, of a car crash that she blames herself for. Yeah. And that even relates to the Phantom, because the whole car crash was caused by, like, she went and watched the original movie, and then, like, the place she was at, the uncle, like, scares them, and it scared her. Yeah. And then she called her parents to pick her up, and they got in a car crash on the way home. And they died. Yeah. yeah. And so she, like, blames that movie and her being scared for, like, why her parents died. Yeah. Um. So the movie starts on halloween which is one of the reasons we picked it it, it continues through about like the new year which is cool because um you follow it for a while I, I do enjoy that um and it's halloween in 2013 in texarkana and we find out that every year on halloween somewhere in texarkana they film the town that or they um screen the town the dreaded sundown um so that's when we meet jamie and she's with Corey. they're on a date um and you know she says she's not really into scary movies or that movie so like maybe they could go somewhere and they actually drive off to what used to be lover's lane i like that they say what used to be lover's lane you're gonna see a lot of like callbacks in this everyone is dressed like it's the 70s still in this movie which i think is very much a callback to the original yeah it was done intentionally yeah, yeah. um because it does 100 percent take place in 2013 like we get yeah. dates um and like uh so it's a very intentional like thing of like small town but also call back to the original movie yeah and they do they forego having like the sort of documentary narrator but she does have narration yes our final girl yes um while she's out there this is i mean it kind of kicks into high gear pretty fast and it's just like the original they're out there making out and they see someone and Corey's like oh it's just some pervo and then the killer shows up with the gun and he's like get out of the car i'm gonna shoot her in the face so he like gets out and he makes Corey take his pants off and he's like take your pants off and then he's like he tells Jamie to look away and uh, she can see on the like it's a rock formation she and like the headlights she can see the killer just stabbing him over and over again in the back um, and then she runs away but the killer does catch up to her and he just tells her that she's gonna make them remember um, this is for Mary make yeah. them remember a very taut like. This is, like, one of those rare situations where we have a killer who talks a ton. Like, he talks the entire time. Yeah, he's very talkative to, like, everyone he kills yeah. almost. Like, he's always saying something. And he definitely talks to our final girl a lot. Um, and so she stumbles out in front of the drive-in. Um, and then, you know, we get uh, a little bit of a fast-forward. Um, where, you know, we see, like, the town go into full effect. Like, the police are definitely, like um taking it very seriously jamie has a car parked in front of her house every night um but like we pretty much jump forward to it's before thanksgiving and um we see like a soldier come home to his girlfriend and they have a very graphic sex scene mm -hmm. um this is your your nudity in the movie um i forgot how graphic it was too like she's it's literally like reverse doggy looking at her and like it's just her arm that's covering like the graphic bits you know the explicit bits i guess yeah um and he goes to get them 
uh, go get her cookies, and she does this on purpose because she's going to propose. Um, and then she's looking out the window, and the killer shows up and has his decapitated head in his hands and starts slamming into the window. This scene's rough. Um, she grabs the jacket. She runs away. She jumps out the window. It's ugh, like a, a really stomach-churning, like her Achilles basically splits through her like her heel comes out of her fucking leg and it's gross yeah, as her, shit like, femur breaks or something yeah and goes through her leg yeah and she this whole scene like i said is rough like she is screaming for help she stumbles to get into her car she doesn't lock her doors though so he like literally just opens the passenger door and eviscerates her yeah. and like blood spread like sp- like sprays all over like the car it's it's really really um it doesn't hold back at all i don't i feel like with this one um like from the leg to the actual kill are all pretty rough to watch i remember that actual like leg like even watching it again today i was like i knew it was coming and i was like ugh, yeah it's gross it turns my stomach um and uh the phantom calls jamie that night and tells her i'm gonna do it again and again until you make the remember um and this is when like the police get like very activated about it Mm -mm. um jamie like i know this is so it's kind of all happening at the same time this is when we meet anthony anderson's character lone wolf comes in and informs them that like the rangers are involved with this yeah now so the texas rangers are involved what i thought was was cool is they did do a lot of like there's town hall meeting stuff in this where they review both or where they have um the the texas mayor and the arkansas Mm -hmm. mayor there and they're like both going back and forth like the texas mayor is like we will not be showing this movie on the texas side and then the arkansas mayor is like we will not be showing it on the arkansas side anymore but i just thought that was like an interesting dichotomy to have yeah and they have the two different sheriffs and yeah it was like unnecessary but it kind of added like i think a little bit of flavor to it um and this yeah they really wanted to make the town like feel real yeah and like this this is the point too where we see like a bunch of the townspeople and you actually see them kind of around town like for the rest of the movie and they're all like it does a good job of because you know you think the original movie was made in the 70s and like it's based on killings that were happening in the 40s so this is even further removed than that but it does a good job of showing that like this legacy haunts this city like no matter what yeah um no matter how far removed you are and jamie decides to look into the killings on her own um so she she's like wants to be a writer yeah so they're kind of like playing with that idea that okay well her therapist encourages her to do that instead of going on medication so you're gonna research this and you're gonna write about it and that's what you're good about so she sort of like befriends this guy um and what's his name nick Nick, yeah Yeah, she befriends this guy nick who works at the library and he's like in charge of the archives yeah yeah and they sort of start trying to figure out like who was the phantom killer and is Mm -hmm. it the same person it was yeah and like i like this too because they're like who was it and realistically like because even at the town hall meeting someone's like it's the it's the phantom killer and one of the like deputies go ma'am he'd be over 100 years old by now yeah and so like jamie's whole thing is trying to figure out like okay if not him then who has a motive right um or who could be connected like she wants to find out who the original is because she does feel like they're connected to the original 
so she brings like all these theories to the police and they discount all of them which again i really like this scene because like we're not given like some bumbling task force even though like gary cole's kind of goofy and the sheriff's kind of like this like you know got a long drawl and like they're kind of made out to be incompetent but they're not like and i like this scene because it shows that they're actually like doing their due diligence um and they've like chased down all these leads um and then they nick does ask uh jamie jamie to go to like a vigil for the deputy and his girlfriend and someone dressed as the killer shows up um and uh is shot by one of the like uh, off-duty marines or something there but basically like um someone dresses the killer does show up but we find out that it's not the killer because two more murders happened that night yeah but it has already gotten like the word out in town that some that the phantom's been shot and yeah so like a sense of like okay well maybe we are okay yeah and that's why these two killings end up happening because the mayor is at this like gala event and the sheriff shows up and tells her that they killed they got the killer and she has our you know she tells the the preacher who is um what's his name i forgot already melville the guy who played richard gilmore edward herman um um who is this very like pious like you know we're all sinners kind of preacher but yeah, she, that's why he's back yeah he does like this prayer and then like these two boys um who are homosexual and they go out to like experiment go to this like junkyard um and we didn't mention too but roberto Seguir, um Sakasa is also like homosexual and wrote this movie and i like that we get like queer representation and yeah Mur- and murphy obviously yeah and then murphy um is gay as well and so another like complaint that i've seen about this movie which is completely validated is that we do get that really graphic sex scene um of straight sex of straight sex in the beginning then we get to this and it's literally like hey like do you want to give me a blowjob and it's like then i could give you one and then they're killed literally before they don't kiss like there's no part of their sexual relationship that is shown and then later in the film, we get another straight sexual act that yeah, is shown. That is, and so that's the only thing that's like, I mean, you know, yay for representation, but obviously it was a choice not to show. Right, and that's always strange to me too when you get someone like Mur- Mur- Murphy who's audacious, yeah. and like, a, and then you have a queer screenwriter too. Like, why was that? It, uh, what, was it a marketing thing? Like, were you trying to make it more marketable? Yeah, or like, was it a, pro- a producer's decision? Right. Um, who who was making that decision? Yeah. Because it doesn't really make sense when you have um, a, you know, a gay writer and a producer and you include... It'd be one thing if there was, like, no, like, queer characters at all. Mm-hmm. And then, like, it would be, like, a non-issue. We wouldn't be talking about it. I mean still an issue if we don't have any representation in films right. but the fact that it's there but then they stop that's a decision yeah. uh, it feels like a pretty obvious one someone get a hold of ryan murphy for me and tell him i want to interview him not about any of his successful projects but the town that dreaded signed on just this one. i have questions that need to be answered um but yeah so these two boys go to this um junkyard essentially um, a really cool one yeah to like experiment and uh 
again, just very savage. Like, they're in the car, they see the killer. I do, just like the original, I feel like the like the killer is intimidating, and he's very fast. Like oh, he's, he's super fast. Yeah, yeah, he runs after them. Like, one of the guys is backing up. The killer hits him in the head with, like, a crowbar to stop him, and then, um, like, beats on the other dude that's running away. And this is also another, like, sort of, like paying tribute to her original because the boys were in band so we get our um he does the trombone, trombone kill. kill yeah but this one is yeah i mean it's as it's as um hard to watch as the original one it's I just really like. different because yeah. of the way it's filmed mm-hmm. um where the original it's just that one shot you're never seeing in another camera angle and right. the blowing yeah sensation just makes it and you feel like it goes on forever and yeah. ever um so this one definitely felt like an updated version of it. Yeah, and then like he also like it's two of the boys and like what what like one of them's like run, like run and like the killer just shoots him dead and it's yeah he's he's like a no mercy guy. It's 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 very hard to watch. I feel like like a lot of this movie, I, I was telling B like I remember the first time I watched it, I was like fuck that was brutal and like kind of the older I get I'm like damn that's hard to watch. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then so. You know, Jamie finds out that so they find out that this guy who dressed up as the killer was actually like a suicidal teen, um, and he did it on purpose. He left like a note behind. He just went out to like that's how he decided to have himself killed. Um, and you know, she's hopeful that like maybe it was still him just because he was um, upset. But like they inform her that nope, these killings happened afterwards, so the killer is still out there. Um. Cartwright, that's our reverend, he gets arrested because they find out that the email is from the email that Jamie got that was um, very, like, religious sounding anyways. Yeah. Was sent from him. And we basically find out that, like, it was from him and he is not our killer, but he's preying on the morality of his, the town and, like, the, I guess they're, they're kind of, like, He's preying on the 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 fear that the killer has instilled in the people to try to bring people back into his church, which is why he has sent this email to her. Um, so they arrest him, but they like know that he is not the killer. And while this is happening, um, Jamie and Nick have figured out that Charles B. Pierce, who is the director of the original town that directed uh, that directed the town that dreaded sundown. Um, his son who is fictional so we have a fictional son of a real director still lives in texarkana um and then what is this oh yeah so then we get our cop kill this is when we see gary cold eye um because this is our other yeah sexual scene and this is this is again another kill that is flashing back to the original Mm mm-hmm um it, and it's they even reference it because like they say like the sheriff goes well after the trom- trombone killer was a double homicide at a farmhouse and anthony anderson's like well shit every house out here is a farmhouse yeah um and then sure enough instead of like you know her just checking in on her husband like reading the paper it's a sex scene because this is 2014 yeah um tillman and- goes to a bar he's all bummed because he had to arrest this person who's very prominent in society yeah for this email and they know it's not him but they had to arrest him anyways so he like picks up this chick yeah and then she runs 
away. Well, well, well she's yeah. giving him a blowjob. Yeah. And the killer, just like the original, shoots Tillman yeah. in the, the face. Yeah, through the window. Um, and she's running away, and she's in a cornfield. And this had some really cool shots, too, because they keep flashing to bird's eye view, where we're seeing the killer, and we're seeing her, and they're moving, and, like, for a, she's actually getting away from him. She's, like, moving in a separate direction. They're going in different directions. Um, and this scene is one of those scenes you were talking about where they let silence. It's literally just the noise of the, the stalks. Yeah, yeah or the wheat, um, Like, moving to the side. But what happens is she stumbles across a scarecrow who looks like our killer because it's got the bag head and everything, and she screams, and he runs up on her, and he you know slices her, and he he hangs her up in the scarecrow. That's how she's found the next morning, and she's up like basically crucified on the scarecrow cross. Yeah, and one of the things that makes this film like you know more successful, and I mean makes it a, a slasher, is that. It's not being tied down by the true crime. Yeah. Because, you know, like we remember, in our world, this really happened. Mm -hmm. And then there was the movie based on those killings. And that movie, you know, and that kill originally, the person gets away. Mm -hmm. And so in the movie, she does. She gets away. There's numerous, like, scenarios where our people get away. Mm -hmm. Um, And so here... That's not happening. Like, yeah, because because we have something that's acknowledging the original and that the original kills existed, but this killer is much more merciless. Yeah, much more, I think, intelligent and also, I mean, you know, realistically, we have two killers. Oh. Um. So yeah, and and another reason this works so much more as a slasher is we have a true like final girl. We're following this one girl because we lose the true crime aspect in a way like we're not following the police the police are secondary characters um but we are like jamie is we follow her as she tries to Mm -hmm. uncover who the phantom killer is um but we are following her like it's even though we're seeing these kills with our secondary characters that's very in line with like us with a slasher film we see that a lot like we get introduced to secondary characters so we can follow them to see them die um, but we, our central plot is still being moved forward by Jamie. Um, Jamie and Nick are, they go to meet Charles B. Pierce's son, um, who, by the way, is a Brian Murphy alumni. Um, he's the guy who, he's, um, where is he in this? Charles Pierce Jr. He had Dennis O'Hare. Oh, yeah, that's the guy. He's, uh-huh. um, mo- I recognize him most from Murder House. He's the guy with the burnt face. Um, yeah. That oh, yeah. I recognize yeah. him most from True Blood. Um, but yeah, he is from American Horror Story. Yeah. I just recently like rewatched that season too. So he like really stood out to me. But he is like kind of this jaded, like, you know, he definitely thinks his father could have been huge, but he refused right. to so leave. Right. So he's the son of our film. Right. Of, of our the, original film. Of our original film. And he, like, says, like, my dad could have been to Orson Welles, but he wouldn't leave Texas. So it was funny, too, that they chose to do that because t- he was known for his films for Arkansas. And so in this one, they say Texas. Yeah. Um, and obviously we're on the border here, but I did think that was interesting because after doing the research for the movie last week, it was literally like, oh, like, Arkansas's Pride and Joy, and you wanted to be able to show, like, Legend of Boggy Creek, like, show the history of Arkansas 
and then in this movie's like it's texas and i'm like well okay yeah that That's, is interesting. i just thought That's that was a, a little weird because why change it yeah maybe because they wanted it so rooted in texas yeah to feel more like texas yeah maybe yeah um, that was interesting. But he lets them on, like, he's like, I know who the original Phantom Killer is. And he is the one who tells him about Hank McCready, who is the original victim, um, original last victim of the Phantom Killer that they pinned the crime on. And he even says, like, my dad wanted me to make a sequel. And, like, I went and met with McCready's wife, who, like, is definitely vengeful and, like, vindictive. And, like, it's not her son but like her grand he he even says like i'm telling you her grandson like he's yeah. the one i just don't know who her grandson is yeah um because he catches her like on her deathbed and like they weren't married that was another reason it was his girlfriend so there's like no like traceable records so that he can really follow um he just knows that um mcgree's wife's name was mary so that matches up with the name that the killer has been like telling her yeah. this entire time um he's also he i will say he's a little bit of a red herring like even nick questions like how do we know it's not just him yeah um he's and he's a very strange guy too. yeah definitely he's a red herring and so is the um reverend for sure oh yeah yeah i mean the reverend like characters like you know though the re- it can't be the reverend like the, his build he's big like that he's yeah. a big guy um herman but uh yeah like but they are like you know, he could be a mastermind or something behind it. Like, yeah. they're definitely red herring characters. Um, Jamie's grandmother finds out she was accepted to college, and she, I, I do like this. She's like, we're getting the fuck out of here, dude. Yeah. Like, I called your uncle. He said we can stay out there. We do not need to be in this town. You do not need to worry about this. Like, we're getting out of here. Which uh, is a big deal. So this theme sort of plays through the movie with a few different characters, and so her grandmother says it too, like, I've never left Texas. I was born here and I've never left. She's never even gone like to another state. And that is very, um, my husband's family is originally from like a very small town, like close to where we grew up, but like super small town. And they, his grandmother still like has a hard time like with, um, outsiders and like people she doesn't know very well and you know they didn't really travel that much um and if they did it was definitely like here in the states like if you come from like a really small like rural area you usually like stay there and that's your comfort and so they even play with that here it's like she's like no it all of this shit happened and here we still are yeah and like finally she hits a point where it's like i can't do this yeah i can't stay here his grandmother even says like she says like my parents lived in this house when the original killings happened Um, so it's haunted her yeah her whole life um so they're like leaving and this is this is the one part i thought was like they play like a very like upbeat song it's like they're leaving town and you kind of think like this maybe this is the end because she like she even says like to um foster as she leaves she's like hey like this might be nothing but like i found this research and like could be something and like they're playing this kind of upbeat music but then you know that it's not over because she like slows down pulls into this gas station there's like one man out there there's one you know we got our, our clerk inside and she hears gunshots 
she comes out and the guy who was filling up his tank is dead and her grandmother's standing at the car shot through the throat she's dead the clerk comes out to check on her he gets shot immediately um and so all three are killed she runs she starts running through the train station um and i i forgot to we also nick dies um, yeah. in this whole thing because he comes over they have sex um before she leaves town and then this scene was cool too where he's walking he's walking home and there's like all these um all those sensor lights that like click on and off and then like the last one we see the killer just right there and he kills nick um but she's running through this train station and um, running away from the killer she finds nick who he's dumped her on the train tracks um with a sign that says remember me and he's like all torn to pieces just like mccready was yeah uh and then like she's running through the woods and she's shot down by arrows actually like the killer Mm -hmm. shoots her with arrows um and it's like this kind of like swampy area um and this is where we get our big reveal that it's both of them um and then you know we get a little flashback showing like this is why the killer made her turn around so he could like make it look like it was Corey, and then the body that was discovered was actually like a vagrant that they found and they took two of Corey's teeth and put them in his mouth and like literally mutilated his face so much that you wouldn't be able to tell um and then foster kills Corey when he after his evil monologue yeah just shoots him right in the head and then he tells um jamie that he's going to pin them both for it um for being Two, two teens who were up so obsessed with the original killings that they decided to reenact them themselves uh but jamie manages to grab a gun and shoot foster and he like she shoots him a couple times but then he like floats away yeah and we get like you know your kind of standard horror stinger where she's like now i'm in california and she's doing her like kind of monologue you know and she's like a reporter now and she's told the story um and she says something you know like but you never know like the you phantom could be out there especially when the sun goes down and then you see like a shadow behind her which i think this too is a callback to the original yeah because very yeah. much of that like original stinger of like he could still be out there and we yeah. see his boots you know and like it, i thought for like if this was another one of the twists that they didn't like i was i think that's it, a silly thing because that's a, it's a standard horror movie twist especially it's for a, a slasher it's just a and it's a callback yeah and, like, it's also one of those ambiguous things where, like, is that the killer or is it just, you know, someone? And, like, yeah. it's inferring, like, you know, anyone could be a killer or, like, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. It's it's a standard thing. Yeah. Um, what is your favorite kill? Um, I don't know. I think... I, the one that just sticks with me the most is definitely the Marine's decapitated head. Um, not that we see the kill, but him using his head to like As break weapon. through the window. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just, I mean, it's so slasher. Like mm-hmm. it, it's so like over the top and crazy. And I love it for that. And like, that imagery just really sticks with me. So yeah. it's kind of cheating. It's not but really that the shot's kill good itself, too, though, where she's but... looking out and then the head comes. Yeah. In. My 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 favorite is is her kill is the Marine's girlfriend. I just think it feels. It's a great chase. It too. sets the tone for what this movie is. Like where Corey's death is definitely like brutal, 
we it felt more like zodiac esque. It feels very zodiac, and we also don't see a whole lot of it. It's all done in silhouettes and shadows, which I think Obviously. is very effective. Yeah. But it, and it like plays into the story later. But like her kill just like sets the tone of like. Well, and technically and, that's not a kill because yeah, he doesn't die. He doesn't die. Right. Um, it's a fake death, and then but also like this to me very much also shows like that this killer is intimidating because he like i mean just the way he like reaches in the car and he's like he's very big and forceful and like grabs her and like stabs her and slices her yeah it's very effective um i really like jamie as a final girl yeah i think she's um i think she does the arc well uh i think she's like smart i've like there's a lot of things about her character that i really enjoy yeah um like i like that she has flaws but she resolves a lot of them within the like confines of the movie like the whole like blaming herself for her parents death um and even like we see that with Corey, she blames herself for him too but she overcomes them and then like how she initially rejects nick and then like doesn't because and she's able to realize like she rejected him because of her own like insecurities yeah her own issues um but also we see like she's very intelligent which i like and very capable um which are all like things I really like in a final girl as well. Um, so like I, you know, she's no Sydney, but like I think yeah. she's still like. I don't know. I like a final girl who any final girl who can like hold their own and is, makes intelligent decisions and like has a complete character arc. Like I really like, and yeah. I feel like she definitely has that. Yeah, you get a lot from her. Mm-hmm. Um, like her relationship with her grandma and like all that stuff. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, she's and I like really that she takes. Out. Yeah, she takes it into her own hands. You know, she starts looking into it and like, uh, yeah, like all that stuff. I really like, and that she's not necessarily like a scrapper. That's I think why Sydney always stands out to me or Nancy because they like hold their own in a fight, but like she does manage to kill Foster. You know, take advantage of the situation, and um, you know she's still like, even when she runs away, she's smart about things. Um. I didn't have a favorite line or quote. No. No. It's not really. a very serious movie. Yeah, yeah. Not really one that had any great lines. Uh and position the horror landscape not talked about at all. No. Like almost never. Yeah, being, it's rarely it'll get mentioned sometime. I'm like, Oh yeah, I really liked that movie. Uh yeah, B and I were just saying, so this movie's twenty fourteen and we were just talking about how like all the movies that we loved initially now that are 10 years old are getting their come up and it's like for the Friday the 13th remake in Jennifer's body so i hope in 5 more years this movie will have like that article that someone with more clout than me will write to be like remember how good this movie was and we all slept on it and everyone will be like yeah i love that movie or like yeah i need to see that it looks great or um i cuz i think i i like this movie a lot I think it's really good and really yeah. well made and um super well made. And it's it's insane to me with the amount of slashers that we don't have in the new era, like inundated with them in the 80s of course. And then the 90s and the aughts were like so sparse. Like I feel like we're just now we're just now getting back into the slasher trend. And so this was definitely a dry spell period and it's crazy to me that slasher fans weren't like rabid for this. Yeah. Because I think it's like as a slasher. Yeah, the only thing else out at this time was Hatchet, really. Yeah, which is totally super opposite. It plays camp, you know, for fun, but it's super campy. 
but yeah, just not talked about. Like, you're not going to find it on most lists. I th- oh. get swept under the rug a lot, which I think is a shame. Well, and I remember when, um, I don't know, it's got to been a couple years now, and the Shockwaves Horror Movie Club, we compiled, like, the Shockwaves, like, top list. Yeah. And I remember I had this movie on there, and a couple people were like, oh, the original, right? And I'm like... No, no, the remake. I actually haven't seen the original. And they're like, oh, yeah, okay. And, like, it didn't get, like, people thought it was weird. Yeah. That it was getting mentioned and kept going, like, oh, from the 70s? It's like, no. Like, from now, this is a much better movie than the original. Yeah. Like, and I really appreciate that we watch the original now because I think I actually like this more. Because of the original. Because of the original and knowing all the callbacks they did. Yeah. And, like, how smart they they were with them. That's where I think you definitely can't – this is not a remake, but you can argue the reboot thing. Yes. Because they're taking some of those scenes from the original movie and making them better. Yeah. Um, So at the end of every episode, we do uh, rank our movies. And you can find all those at keepscreaming.com slash the dash list. Number one, reigning champion for over a year, over two years, I don't know, super long time, My Bloody Valentine, 1981. Um, and then you'll follow by Black Christmas, Friday 13th, Part 2. And then at the bottom of our list, we have April Fool's Day, Girls Night Out, Cry Wolf. This is our 50th movie. Um, big deal. Yeah. So we're at 50 movies. Um, it is our uh, last Halloween entry for the year. And... Um, Man, I think this movie is really good. Mm-hmm. I think it's super effective as a slasher. Um, I'm looking at, like, Urban Legend Happy Death Day-ish. Mm-hmm. I think it's better than the My Bloody Valentine remake. I just think it does a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Like, I think I we get our, like... We get our, like, family history stuff. I think that's all included very well. I think our killer's super interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we have a really good final girl, like, a solid final girl. And I just can't overlook how beautiful this movie is. Mm-hmm. Which I think plays a lot into it. Yeah, just well-made film in general. Yeah, and, like, in that sense, it, like, that's why I'm kind of looking at, like, you know urban legend even like because like the, i definitely feel like the burning in house and sorry are, are like beautifully filmed i don't think it's better than either of those though so i'm kind of looking at like happy death day urban legend but i i don't think i can even rank it above urban legend i'm trying to think trope wise what we have here you know we get it doesn't really play it plays it differently. We do get our flashback in time, essentially them just saying, like, this is what happened. Right. Um, and because it's meta and has yeah, an element, exactly. that trope is played a little differently, but yes. the trope is still there. Yeah, it, ex- it definitely exists. Yeah, those past affecting, events. Um, it's, not a, it, it's not a family connection for our final girl, but it's a fi- family connection for our killer. Right, and I do like that they loop that the Phantom has a history with her past tragedy too yeah but in a sense that's disconnected yes but like he still haunts her in a in a different way right i think that is all very like intelligently tied in too um yeah so i don't know it might be better yeah i think i think it might be a better slasher than urban London. only and so like i i personally think the killers are more interesting in this one 
more interesting, but less. But the kills in Urban I mean, Legend are like next level amazing. Yeah. And Rebecca Gehart is not interesting per se, but she's great. Her performance, her performance is, great. is spectacular. Yeah. Her motive for killing yeah, is not the best. Is not the best. Right. Yeah, so I, I it's almost like they're duking it out because I do like they're uh it's hard because they're so different cuz yeah. like Urban Legend feels like right. those like classic slashers of like these theme kills and yeah. like we have you know like I do like that our killers are both at least like costumed. Um, also our final girl in Urban Legend is horrible. Oh, she's so bad. You're yeah. right. Yeah, I think we I think we can rank this above Urban Legend. Yeah, I think you're right. I think if Urban Legend had one or the other, if it had a better final girl, um, which, I mean, the final girl in Urban Legend is, like, really the only thing I dislike about that movie. Yeah. Um, Or if our killer's motive was more interesting. Right. And wasn't just, like, my boyfriend. Yeah. It's a car accident, you know? Yeah. No, I agree. And I just, and I think... We could make a lot of the same arguments for Happy Death Day, but I think Tree is so spectacular that. Yeah, and then we have that argument of like the switching, what new things they did with the tropes. Yeah, Um, so I think it still is not as good as Happy Death Day. Yeah. I love you, Tree, forever. Um, But this is our new number 10. Wow. New entry on the top 10. That's exciting. Yeah. Sorry, Urban Legend. We still love you. We still love all these movies, except Girls Night Out. Yeah. And. Whatever that movie, Legend of Mary Hatch. Blood Night, yeah. Blood Night. Um, 50 movies. This is also um, our second anniversary. Yeah. Um, so thank you, everybody, who's sticking around with us for two years now. Yeah, I'm sorry we didn't do, like, a special anniversary episode. If He has a baby. Yeah, life's a little crazy and a little different than it was even last year. Yeah. Um. So we'll we'll do something special. We'll soon. do something special. Maybe like a cool like Christmas episode yeah. or something. Um, it just won't be right now. <laughs> yeah, that'd be fun. I have a teething child who's taking yeah. a lot more time um, than normal. We are probably gonna do Home Sweet Home. Uh, for Thanksgiving, yes. and then we'll pick a random one, and then Christmas. I think we actually got pretty much. Well, we know we're going to do. We'll let you guys know. Um, we're going to for sure do Black Christmas. Um, yes. Well, there's another one. We'll go see it and see if it's a slasher, I guess. Right. Because there are parts of that trailer that make me M- feel make like. Make it seem like it's not a slasher. So if it is still a slasher, we'll we cover will it. cover it. Yes. And so we don't have to do an episode where we're like, here, let's dissect this movie. And then we're going to get to the end and rank it and be like, um, yeah, it's not really a slasher. Yeah. Um, so if it's still a slasher, we're going to do that. So we'll keep you updated on what else we're doing in November, but Black Christmas for sure in December. And then also, I really want to do that movie my brother got us, Shredder. Oh, right. That, like, it's a, it's a, like, late 90s, early aughts yeah. slasher with, um, Steve from Full House, and it takes place in a ski resort. Yeah. Yeah, so my brother bought, like, a bunch of movies when the video store in our hometown was going out of business, and, like, five of them are slashers, so he gave them all to us, and that's the one that looks the best yeah. some of them are questionable some of them are softcore pornos oh for sure, for sure. i yeah. looked at the back cover and i'm like we're not watching this <laughs> we're definitely not watching it together yeah <laughs> um yeah so but we'll be back um i think with home sweet home in two weeks if we change it up we'll let you know um if we pick something else but home sweet home will probably be one of our november movies um 
and then we'll figure something else out. So until then, keep screaming.